Good morning. Uh, some of you may know me, some of you may not. My name is Jonathan Gentry, and I'm one of the members here at Pillar, uh, and also have the privilege to serve as a chaplain over at Camp Lejeune. And um, just want to just say welcome here to Pillar Church. If this is your first time, I see some people I don't recognize. I see there's a lot of new people who have been coming here and there, so just welcome this morning. Uh, so as we said, we've been going through the book of John, and we're going to continue in that this morning. And I want us to think about this, right? Everyone loves a good story. People spend billions of dollars, and I like to contribute that, on books each year uh, as they like to dive into a good story, right? They, whether it's reading through a series like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or, or some other great series, people love seeing the characters develop, right? Or how does the plot move along in this particular story? Now, the best is when you get sucked into a series, right, that's still being published. You, you look forward to the release of the next book, and as soon as it's released, you gobble it up. It, it never fails that at least one of those books has some sort of cliffhanger, right, that, that keeps you like, okay, what's going to happen in the next book? But you, of course, have to wait until that book is released in order to find out what it is. It keeps you on the edge of your seat. And sometimes the end of the story or series is not wrapped up well. It ends in a heartbreaking way. It maybe ends in a way that you imagine would have ended differently, or maybe you would have wrote it differently. Sometimes you're mad, sometimes you're sad, or even confused at how it ended. And in John 19 that we looked at last week, we saw the sacrificial death of Jesus. We know his hands and feet were driven through with nails into an old rugged cross. We know he died and had a spear driven into his side, and water and blood came out. We know his body was taken off the cross and laid in an unused tomb. And imagine if that's where the story ended, with Jesus in the tomb. Put yourself in the shoes of the followers of Jesus. The one you had followed for over three years had just been executed by the Romans, is now wrapped in linen clothes in a tomb. Imagine the pain and sorrow that you would feel. Imagine all that you had believed in now in question. Imagine the one you had believed who was the Son of God was dead and in the grave. Imagine the fear of what the Jewish leaders may now do to you because you had followed him, the one who was called Jesus. Imagine yourself lying in bed at night and trying to go to sleep. You keep running through your mind what could have been. Was there something we could have done to prevent this? Why did not Jesus stop this? And out of sheer physical and emotional exhaustion, you finally fall asleep not knowing what to expect tomorrow. And this is where John leaves us in the story of John 19, verse 42, and between John chapter 20, verse 1. That's where we're at in the point of the story. And, and today we're going to be looking at this next to last chapter in the Gospel of John. And we'll be looking at the greatest story ever told in this chapter. And we're going to see that John recorded Jesus' resurrection so that people would believe in Jesus and have life in his name. And the same thing applies for us today. That Jesus' resurrection needs to be shared with people so that they may believe in Jesus and have life in his name. So before we go into this passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. 
God, we ask that as we open up this text that you would open our eyes so that we may behold wonderful things from your law. Lord, we, we know if we've ever read this story or have ever heard this story that this is the greatest story ever told because it's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. We pray that you would open our eyes again. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to go through the entire chapter this morning. So uh, follow along as I read through that. We're going to read through that first, and then we'll walk back through the text. Um, so if you don't have a Bible, there, there should be some Bibles underneath somewhere near next to you. Uh, feel free to grab one of those. And if you don't have that, that's a, a gift to, uh, to you from us. So chapter 20 of John, starting in verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them running were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And when she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and your father, my, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. In verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins, the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withheld forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. 
Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Wow, praise be to God, right, that Jesus rose from the dead. Right? The story does not end with Jesus in the grave. John is going to show us this morning three amazing truths about the resurrection of Jesus. First, we're going to see that because of the resurrection, there is an empty tomb. And we'll see that in verses 1 through 10. Because of the resurrection, there is an empty tomb. So let's walk back through this passage. We see here at the beginning that Mary comes on the first day of the week. Right? Mary Magdalene, she comes on a Sunday and sees that the stone has been rolled away. Right? You're going to notice in this passage all throughout the gospel right, that John is extremely intentional on how he writes. And to know, that, of course, that the tomb was rolled away is, is a big deal. Because these, these stones weren't some small little stone that you could pick up and put in your pocket. No, these were massive pieces of rock that the Romans would use to guard the tomb, to close the tomb. So that's intentional. So the question is, how does that move if she didn't move it or someone else? Well, Matthew 28 gives us a clue. Matthew 28, 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. So we see here how it, how it occurs. And look at what she says. So, of course, she's worried about this and goes back to Simon Peter and the disciple. That's John, right? He always refers to himself in the third person. And he, she tells him, hey, they've taken the Lord, right? She believes that grave robbers or those who had crucified Jesus may have come and stolen the body so that he couldn't rise from the dead, right? And, well, what we see here in this passage is that if it truly someone who had robbed the grave, they wouldn't have taken the time to take off the linen clothes, right? They wouldn't have done that. That would have taken time. If they're trying to get the body, they would have just grabbed the body and gone, especially not leaving the expensive spices that, the, that Jesus was wrapped in. We hear that in the story of Lazarus. Remember Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus and said, Come out, and Lazarus walks out. And listen what to John eleven forty four records. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. So right here in this beginning of this passage, we can already see that something is at work. God has done something in this story. He has intervened. And, of course, we know that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. Looking at verses 6 and 7, we see that both John and Peter run to the tomb, right? One of them outruns the other. And we get there, and John stops. He, he looks in, doesn't go into the tomb. But once Peter catches up with him, he immediately goes in. And notice what John records in verse 6 and verse 5 as well. He saw the linen, the linen clothes lying there, but did not go in. Simon, following him, went into the tomb, saw the linen clothes lying there. Again, a reminder that, hey, 
This is not something that some grave robbers would have done. They would have not left those things here. And you notice that he adds the detail of the face cloth. Okay, well, you might be able to read over that and think nothing about that, right? But once again, John is intentional about pointing out that someone would have not taken the time if they were literally stealing the body of Jesus to wrap it up and put it off to the side. Right? They wouldn't have done that. They would have taken the body and gone. So again, he's proving that something is going on here, something bigger than themselves. And look at what happens in verse 8. Talking about John, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went in now, and he saw and believed. Jesus or John enters the tomb and sees everything and knows, based on the evidence before him, that Jesus is no longer there. He didn't walk out. He didn't get stolen. No, Jesus knows Jesus was risen from the dead. It's an empty tomb. So John could not have any other belief than the size that Jesus was alive. But look at this interesting phrase that he records. It says in verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Right? Interesting phrase to put in there if it just said that he believed in what he saw. Well, again, we see all throughout the passages of, of the Gospels that the disciples struggled to truly fully understand what was going on, right? What Jesus was doing in his earthly ministry. In Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, he Jesus says this, but Jesus answered them, you were wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. In Luke chapter 24, verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then later on in that same chapter, chapter 24, verse 46, he said to them, thus it is written, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So we see that the, the disciples struggled with fully understanding what God was doing. Let's, let's everyone turn over to a passage. So go in your Bible. We're still in the book of John, but flip over to John chapter 2. It's good to get those papers moving and rustling. Because we want to see here, again, this idea that the disciples and others didn't fully understand what was going on. In John chapter 2, right, this is where Jesus had already been at the wedding at Cana, and then he, he goes and cleanses the temple there in Jerusalem. And notice what verse 18 says. They're sitting there, and the Jews come to him and say, said to him, What signs do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and how will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, or he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Again, remember, John is, this is writing after all of these things have happened. So when we think about that, right, this goes back to what we've seen through the rest of our time in the book of John, right? This hour of, has come. We saw that in John chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 17, right? His whole purpose for coming was to go to the cross. It's been planned from the very beginning of time. Right? We, we've hit on it multiple times. I've, I've shared it multiple times in some of my sermons and in our small group. The, the key verse is in the Bible, Genesis 3.15. As a reminder, I, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
So God's plan from the Garden of Eden was to send Jesus to the cross. Right? That was the way God was going to redeem what Adam and Eve had done, the sin that they had committed. Jesus had to die on the cross for this to happen. He had to go the way of Calvary to atone for our sins. All right, one more passage I want you guys to turn with me. Go, we're going to hold your spot there in John, because I want you to see this. Isaiah chapter 53. You may be familiar with this, maybe not. This is a key verse that it, it talks about Jesus coming to die on the cross. I know you're probably thinking, hey, well, this is about the resurrection. Well, there would be no resurrection if there was no cross. So John, or Isaiah chapter 53, we're going to look at a few verses there before we return to John. Right? All throughout the, the book of Isaiah, if you've never read it, there's all these prophecies pointing to the one who is going to come, who is going to redeem what happened in the, the garden. Look at chapter 53, verse 4. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Here we go. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Skip over to verse 9. It says, And they made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. You can go back to, to the Gospel of John. But you see there, even hundreds of years before Jesus ever died on the cross, there was this prophecy from Isaiah saying, hey, one day there's going to come somebody who's going to fulfill this. He's going to die on the cross. They're going to bury him in a grave. So we know, that, we know the end of the story. We don't have to wait to see what's happening, right? It wasn't like God left us here and we got to figure it out. No, we know that Jesus does not remain in the tomb, right? We already see in the first 10 verses of chapter 20 that the tomb is empty because of the resurrection. So we see that because of the resurrection, there is an empty tomb. Not only do we see that amazing truth, but we also see, second, that because of the resurrection, excuse me, there is a living Jesus. Because of the resurrection, there is a living Jesus. And we're going to see that in these next section of verses. And we see in verses 11 through 18, right, that Mary comes back to the tomb. She's already come back to maybe just to spend time there, but she's weeping. She, she's weeping over what's going on. Of course, naturally, if we lose someone in our life like this, especially someone like Jesus, she's going to be sad. She, she may also be sad because she doesn't know where Jesus' body is. She, she's not understood what's going on yet. So she looks into the tomb. Look at verse 12, or the end of verse 11. She looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white. And, and the big thing that we see here is that for the Jews, proper burial was, was a big thing. It was an inherent part of their faith, right? We, we don't think maybe too much about it, about maybe that just needed to happen. But for the Jews, this was a big concern because it was tied into their belief system. And the two angels uh, show, of course, that God was doing something. This was something from the power of God, not just something man created, not some sort of hallucination or, or something like that. But look at the question that the angels ask her in verse 13. Woman, why are you weeping? The angels kind of ask it almost as a soft rebuke because she still does not understand what's happening in this moment, that Jesus is alive. 
And that's the same phrase. She, she, the response to it was the same thing she said in verse 2. And in verse 14, we see that after saying this, she turns around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know who it was. And we don't really know the reason why she doesn't know who Jesus is in this moment. We can pontificate about that, but at the end of the day, it's, she just doesn't recognize Jesus in this moment. She's not the only one, right? And look over in John chapter 21. It should be the next page. It says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So she's not the only one, right, that, that doesn't know that this is Jesus. And again, notice the question Jesus asked. He says, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? So it's the same question that the angels had asked her. And she answers again in a similar way, right? She is so focused on a proper burial and finding Jesus' body that she doesn't realize who is standing in front of her, the one that she is looking for the whole time. And look at what Jesus says to her. All he says is one word, Mary. With one, one, sorry, with one word, Mary recognized who it is that she was talking to. It was Jesus, and he is no longer dead. In recognizing who he is, she turns to him and says, Rabbani. This, this term is a term of extreme reverence and great honor. And, and she falls to his feet and clings to him as, almost as if she doesn't want him to leave now that she has found him. In Matthew 28, 9, we see in that, that account that, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, and they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. I imagine that the one who you saw crucified on a cross, who was beaten with whips to the point that he should have died alone from that. If you've never read the medical description of the crucifixion, go read it. There's just no way that someone should be able to survive the whipping alone, the beating, or the, the crucifixion on the cross, right? And, and he comes before her. She comes and worships him. And Jesus assures her that he's not leaving immediately. He now gives her a task to go to the disciples and tell them that he is alive and that he will soon be going back to the Father. And that's kind of another theme we see in the book, right? Matthew 28, 10 in that account, that Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And John, earlier in his gospel, he reminded them of the same truth. John seven thirty three, Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. His time to return to the Father was almost at hand. And Mary is obedient. She goes and to the, tells the disciples exactly what she had seen and what she had heard from Jesus himself. And so we've already seen two beautiful truths from this passage. First, we saw that because of the resurrection, the tomb is empty. And secondly, we saw that because of the resurrection, there is a living Jesus. And finally, we see the third beautiful truth because of the resurrection. That because of the resurrection, there is eternal life. In verses 19 through 31, we will see this, right? That because of the resurrection, there is eternal life. And as you see in verse 19, we transition to the evening of the same day. 
right, the first day of the week. And, and we see that the disciples are huddled in this room. They're afraid of the Jews because of what they may do to them after having followed. And notice the detail, again, that John says the door is being locked. Right? Don't overlook that. Because it's showing that John is, a, is, is intentional about pointing out that Jesus didn't just walk through an unlocked door and came in the room. He didn't knock, you know, hey, can I come in? No, he, he, he appears out of nowhere, right? This is a supernatural thing that proves the fact that he is resurrected. And what does he say to them? Peace be with you. As any of us probably would be afraid if all of a sudden Jesus pops up in this, this auditorium, right? He, he says, peace be with you. Right, this is, a, again, a theme that even Luke adds in his account in Luke 24. He says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. Well, of course, to prove that he was not a figment of their imagination, he shows them his hands and his side. Right? We know that John records that in the previous chapter. He wants to make sure that these eyewitness accounts are recorded so that they will believe. Listen to what he said in John 19. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness, that's John, his testimony is true, again John, and he knows that he is telling the truth, again John, that you may also believe. And upon seeing this, right, the disciples were overcome with joy, right, just as we would be if someone we lost was now alive, right? Someone died and was buried, and they were in the grave, and all of a sudden, they come out of nowhere. They, they have great joy because of what Jesus has told them and the fact that they have seen him in his risen state. And look at it again in verse 21. He says to them again, peace be with you. It was just a reminder that he was going to give them peace. John 14, 27, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He was reminding them that he is the one who gives peace. And look at what he tells them here after that. He says, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Right, and this is a kind of a preview of the great commission that he gives them. You really see that in Matthew. It's in all the Gospels, but Matthew 18, or 28, 19 to 20 really gets at the heart of the great commission. Right, he is preparing them for the ultimate mission that he would send them to the ends of the, work, the earth. John 17, 18, he said, As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. We looked at that in the prayer that he prayed. And, and what it says here in verse 22 is that he says, receive the Holy Spirit. This commission is tied into the giving of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wanted them to continue the mission that he had already started. This wasn't a new mission. He wanted them to continue doing what he caused them to do, and he's going to give them the power to do it. Now, the question you might be asking is, what about the giving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? Was that something different here in this moment in John? Well, through the study of scriptures, and most scholars agree that this is just a, a preview or a symbolic act of that day that we see in the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes upon the people. And we see here, he also ends here on verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, therefore, or their sins, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. 
in church, we know that God is the only one who can forgive sins. No one else can, right? But what is Jesus saying here, though, with this statement? Let me just explain it this way from another pastor. It's easier than me trying to, to do it on my own. This pastor said, Christians can declare that a sinner is forgiven or unforgiven based on how that sinner responds to the gospel of salvation. He goes on, when people reject the saving message of the gospel, denying the person and work of Jesus Christ, the church has divine authority based on the revealed word of God to tell them that they will perish in hell unless they repent. Conversely, when people profess faith in Christ as their Savior and Lord, the church can affirm that profession, if it is genuine, with equal confidence. Based on passages like Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's important, right? Because Jesus is the only one who has the power to forgive sins. And look at verse 24. So we, we move into kind of the next section of the story, right? After seeing Jesus, of course, the disciples are going to go tell Thomas he wasn't there. We don't really know why he wasn't there. But upon hearing this, he, he doesn't believe. He wants to see the physical body of Jesus. Now, before we give Thomas a hard time, right? You've probably all heard him called Doubting Thomas. Let's, let's not call him that anymore, okay? We probably would have all done the same thing. So we've all, all doubted something in our mind. But we need to remember how he actually responded earlier in the Gospel of John. John eleven sixteen says, Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, so that we may die with him. Right? So Thomas did have faith. But he, he's also, again, not the only one who didn't believe. Even in the account when the women came and told the disciples that Jesus was alive, Mark records this, Mark sixteen eleven. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. So, so lest we paint that picture of Thomas, we need to do that to all the disciples, and ourselves included. So John, or Thomas has great faith, but can hesitate in it as we can as well. Now let's look here at verse 26. So now we've transitioned to eight days later. The story continues, and the disciples are all present, including Thomas in this particular moment. Again, the doors are locked. Again, Jesus comes and stands in the middle of them. And again, he says, peace be with you. And notice who he talks to first here. Not the disciples, not all the disciples. He talks to Thomas. And what does he say? He says, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but, dis but believe. Wait, wait a minute. What is it that John said, or that Thomas said in verse 25? Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Hmm, what a coincidence. Right? Jesus did not have to be physically present to understand what Thomas had said. Right? So this further proves that Jesus was in a resurrected state, that he wasn't dead, that he wasn't in a place where he wouldn't know what's going on. And Jesus calls Thomas to believe, to, to put off his disbelief and now believe in that. In church, that's the call for every single one of us in this room. Believe in what Jesus has done for you. Do not disbelieve any longer. And then look at the, one of the most beautiful declarations that anyone could say in verse 28. Thomas answered him and said, 
my Lord and my God. Someone captured it beautifully, this statement, when he wrote, quote, Thomas thereby, thereby not only displays his faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but points it to its deepest meaning. It is nothing less than the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. The most unyielding skeptic has bequeathed to us the most profound confession. And so church, this, this statement here, especially as Jesus replies, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's hope for us, every single person in this room. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, if we had the time, we'd go around, has anybody ever physically seen Jesus? And if you have, please come and talk to us. But if most of us have not, or any of us have not, right? But we believe in him. And so this is what Jesus is saying. He says, hey, if you've never seen me and you believe, blessed are you. There's hope for us. And 1 Peter 1.8 shows us that, as Peter wrote, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So what Jesus is saying here is those who have believed in him will be fully accepted into the kingdom of God. Their sins are forgiven. They will be with him. And now we finally get to the purpose of John's gospel, right? We've been talking about this for several months now. We've been hitting this verse, but now we get to see what it is. So, of course, John, in verses 30 and 31, he, he set out to record what Jesus had done over the course of his earthly ministry, right? And, of course, he couldn't record everything, right? Like anybody who writes a biography or autobiography, they only include every second from the moment of birth until the present moment. And so he, he, he in no way could recall all the signs or record all the signs that Jesus had performed. But notice that he's actually ending the story just like he had begun. John chapter 2 says this. This is during the, the wedding at Cana. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And, and one of my favorite verses is the very last verse of this, this book. Look at it. It says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written, or that would be written. And we know that Jesus is, is doing something. There's so many other things that we don't even know about that Jesus did with his disciples, that Jesus did in order to show people who he was, right? In order that they may believe. And in verse 31, we see exactly that, the purpose that John wrote this book. Look at it with me. It says, but these are written, so everything preceding verse 31 to the very beginning of this chapter, the, the book, John chapter 1, verse 1, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the whole purpose that John writes his gospel is that whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life. I mean, listen to it. John 3.15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Of course, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, 
but the wrath of God remains in him. John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has path, passed from death to life. In John chapter 17, verse 3, And this is eternal life, that you know the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. One more passage I want us to look at together. Go back to John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. This is right after we see the, the death of Lazarus, right? We've already hit one of those verses. He goes to see Lazarus, and this is what he says in verse 25. He's talking to Martha, and he says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And I want us to ask everybody in this room that same question that Jesus just asked in that passage to Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that he was buried in an empty tomb and rose three days later? Do you believe that you, yes, you can have your sins forgiven and have eternal life in the name of Jesus? That's what John wants. That's what I want for you. So if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the question I have for you is why not? What is preventing you from repenting of your sins and placing your faith in the finished work of Jesus? So what, what should you do based off of what you've heard? So if you are a follower, if you're a person in this room, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, this is what I ask you to do. First, understand that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Romans tells us that. Second, understand that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Yes, that sin that you don't want anyone else to know about. The one that you are so ashamed of, he died for that one. So next, turn from your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of those, and he will forgive you of all your sins. So pray and receive Christ. And if that's something you want to do, please come and talk with me. Come and talk with the other elders. And, and we'll show, just talk to the, your, your friend next to you if they brought you, or a family member, someone. But pray and receive Christ, because there is grace. There is mercy for you. But I also want to say for those of in this, in this room who are followers of Jesus Christ, we need to share this good news, right? The good news of the gospel. It's not just for Easter. You notice today's not Easter, right? And we're preaching on the resurrection of Jesus, right? We need to share that because of the resurrection, there is an empty tomb. There is a living Jesus, and there is eternal life. So be faithful to share this good news, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has risen from the dead. Share this with your coworkers, your family, your friends, complete strangers. Trust that the Lord will give you power just like he gave the disciples to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. I want us to close with this passage from Paul. We read the first 11 verses. Just listen to what Paul said about the resurrection of Jesus. He said this, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he had raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, listen to what he says, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus had not risen from the grave, that would be true. But he continues later on at the end of the passage in 1 Corinthians and says, when the perishable put on the imperishable and the mortal put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And church, that's all because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Pray with me. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and the fact that you are no longer in the grave. God, we cannot imagine what life would be like if you had not sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and he never had risen from the grave. God, I pray that if there's a single person in this room that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that they would, for the first time in their life, believe in the truth of the gospel, that you love them, that you died for them, and that ultimately Jesus rose from the grave three days later in order that we may have life in his name. And I pray, Lord, as, as John's purpose, Lord, that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. We thank you, we love you, in your name we pray, amen.